Well, it's good to see everybody today. You look all summery and stuff, and even got your soda here on the front row. You got your Coke there. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. And, uh, and what are you drinking there, buddy? Coffee. Coffee. Ice, ice coffee, of course. So, isn't it cool, man? When, when I was a kid, you just couldn't do this stuff. You just would be, they'd throw you right out of the sanctuary if you brought your... <laughs> and you couldn't come in in your shorts or your, you know, your, or your t-shirt. I mean, you just couldn't come like that. You were, you were oh, considered unholy. So I'm, I'm glad we... <laughs> Progressivism is not all bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I know we're going to have a great day today, and uh, before before we get, uh, we're going to have the fellowship, and Sherry's going to be coming up at the end of the message to tell you about tell you all about that and what you have to do next. Uh, but uh, we, we the Bible says we're to lift bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, and that's one of the beautiful things about being part of a church is we get to bear each other's burdens, and and uh, many of the burdens we bear we can't talk about from the platform because of the personal stuff like that, but. Uh, Lisa Scholl, uh, her father passed away this week, and uh, uh, many of us remember Jeremy LeClerc. Some of us, not many, but some of you remember Jeremy LeClerc, who was in our youth group for a long time. And so this is their father, and uh, they're down in Greenwood, South Carolina this morning. And uh, just talked to her on the phone a little bit ago. So we're just going to stop right now and have a word of prayer for uh, the Scholl and LeClerc family. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray, Father, that you would bring comfort. The Holy Spirit has promised that you would be a comforter, and I pray, God, that they, we know that he will show up. We just pray they will be able to see him and, and feel his presence as he shows up in that, uh, the Blythe Funeral Home there in Greenwood, South Carolina this morning, and I just pray, God, that you would uh, bring meaning in, into this and this um, unexpected passing. I pray, God, you'll, you'll bring healing, uh, but also meaning and may, this, uh, may you accomplish your greater purpose in their lives. And we thank you, God, for the great promise of eternal life that we know that they're clinging to and they are putting their hope in. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we're talking about God stories this summer. We're kind of taking a break from anything that would be too heavy, but actually this is real heavy because this is about the reality of God. You can, you can argue about... Uh, politics and culture and all of those things, but everything is really meaningless if you don't believe there's a God. And so we could, we could also talk about the evidence of God in very um, complicated terms, and sometimes we need to do that. We don't need to be simple-minded all the time. There are really beautiful, nuanced arguments for God, that God exists, but, so, but we're going to back away from all of that and just talk about those times in your life when things happen that didn't just happen. And you know they didn't just happen. So that's the first definition of a God story. It's something that didn't just happen. Secondly, it's something that maybe won't and probably won't ever happen exactly that way again. And as Christians, we always want to make formulas out of everything. And if something happened, we see the crossing of the Red Sea... Uh, we read that story and we think if we had enough faith, we'd never have to uh, uh, ride a boat again, ever. Uh, you know, that's what we do with the Bible. We read the story like that. We think, well, I tell you, if you, if you try to cross all, all bodies of water, you will drown. Uh, I'm just telling you, that's, unless you have a God moment, you're going to drown. So, 
Um, we're going to go to John chapter 5, verse 17, and it's going to be a this sermon to be continued because I want to cut it off so we can have time for fellowship and so you can have some time, some time for fellowship without your children, those of you who have children, and so our children's workers, and we kind of make a compromise for today. So I'm going to try to rush it a little bit today. John chapter 5, verse 17, my father is always working and so am I. Now let's talk about the context of that that little verse because the context really is going to give it meaning I think for you a man had been sick for 38 years and talked about in John chapter 5 he had been sick for 38 years and uh, there were this there was this place called there was this pool in the center of Jerusalem called Bethsaida Bethsaida near the temple and near Bethsaida uh, there was this pool and around it were these five porches covered porches I kind of imagine, you know, we've all been, probably you've been to the uh, all-inclusive resort in, around the pool. They have these little cabanas that you can go lie in and get a massage or whatever, you know. So I, I can't imagine that's kind of what it was like around the pool. So these, the, the, this, pool was a, uh, this pool was known to produce healing in people's bodies. And there were certain times of the day the water would begin to bubble up. And if you could get in the water while it was bubbling up, from what we can read, we don't know much about it, but from what we can read from the story, people were healed, miraculously healed when they get in the water. And so there was this guy who had been sick for 38 years. I don't know how many years he'd been coming to the pool. And so Jesus walks by this man, and he says to him, would you like to be healed? Duh. <laughs> you ever have God ask you a dumb question? Yeah, God asks me dumb questions all the time. Would you like to be happy? God will ask me that. Would you like to be happy when I'm not happy? But duh, of course I'd like to be happy, or I wouldn't be so mad that I'm unhappy. <laughs> what, what, it's really what, what, what he's really saying is, I'm about to tell you a way you can have that, that you haven't thought of yet. I'm about to tell you how you can get out of your terrible circumstances that you will never think of on your own. And so that's what this was about. He was like, do you want to be healed? Of course you want to be healed. He, Jesus was starting a conversation. And the guy says, yeah, yes, I want to be healed. But uh, every time the waters become, as the King James Bible, troubled, every time the waters stir, I try to get there, and I'm in such bad shape, everybody beats me to the pool. And Jesus says a very simple thing to him. Take, take up your mat, as you're laying on, take up your mat and walk. And the guy says, I never thought of that. <laughs> and he takes up his mat, he's healed, and he walks. And um, uh, see, God's stories invariably interrupt distressing human stories. I said God's stories invariably disrupt dis distressing human stories. When you're telling yourself, there's no way, I can't deal with this, I can't go on with this, this isn't ever going to work, God's story interrupts human, distressing human stories. So Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk, and he did. Immediately the guy was healed. Now, the response of the Jewish leaders was not what you might think. It was not to celebrate, but to charge the man, if you can imagine this, maybe you can in today's world, to charge him with the crime of working on the Sabbath because he picked up his mat. He was working. That was technically working. 
So he picked up his mat, and they charged him with, with picking up his mat and walking. And the healed man said, sorry, but the guy who healed me told me to pick up my mat. And they said, who is that? He said, I don't know. I, I, I never met him before. I don't know him. Later, Jesus goes, goes to the temple looking for him and said, hey, friend, you need to stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. This tells us there's more to the story than we can even imagine. Something about this guy's lifestyle was helping to, probably to make him sick. At that point, he went and told the temple leaders, hey, the, the, this guy that healed me, his name is Jesus. And the Bible says, <laughs> this is amazing, in John chapter 5, verse 16, the Jewish leaders begin harassing Jesus for breaking Sabbath rules. It was at this point that Jesus said this most remarkable thing that's in my text. In response to their charge, Jesus said what this story illustrates. My father is always working, and so am I. This story defines what God working in our lives looks like. That's why this is a really important story, because it defines what God working in our lives looks like. A man needed direction on how to be healed, he needed direction on how to live a healthier life. Maybe you're here today and you need some direction about how you can quit hurting, how you can stop hurting. How many of you would like, would like that in your life? You'd like some direction. How can I stop having so much pain in my life? How can I stop hurting? And how can I live a life that will avoid unnecessary suffering? You know, Viktor Frankl, you know, he said that... Uh, Unnecessary suffering, when you bear it with necessary suffering, you're, you're being heroic. But when you, when you bear with unnecessary suffering, he said, you're not being heroic, you're being masochistic. And there's a big difference. Jesus doesn't want us to be masochists. Jesus does not want us to suffer unnecessarily. I don't want anybody in this room to suffer unnecessarily. We need to eliminate all unnecessary suffering. You know? It, it, if you're wearing clothes that are too tight, go get some looser clothing. <laughs> Don't wear clothes that are too tight. If they're make, you say, but I look good in it. Well, who cares? You, it's, it's painful. <laughs> the event looked like a coincidence, though. A strange guy comes by, says, you want to be healed? Ask an obvious question. Tells you to pick up your mat and walk. I mean, the guy probably thought, well, maybe I wasn't even, maybe I could have walked the whole time. Maybe I, maybe I wasn't even healed. Maybe I just could have walked. I was just too stupid. Maybe, maybe that was a problem. I was just stupid. I lay, I lay there and I knew I could have walked. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think of funny things when I read the Bible. <laughs> but however, in one sentence, Jesus destroys the idea that we can label everything not attributed to our own effort as a coincidence. Jesus said, God and I are always working. This is an, an example that, of me working in lives. In other words, there is intentionality in purpose in our interactions with other human beings. Proverbs 3, 5 teaches us that we all need to lean in to God's intentional interaction with us and acknowledge Him showing up in our lives. And it says He will make our paths straight. 
So that's what this sermon is about today. It's about how can you increase divine coincidences? How can you start to have more of them? I'm only going to give you one point today, and we'll finish it next week, of how you can begin to increase the God moments and the God stories in your life. Proverbs 3.5 is a great verse that gives us a clue. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. The guy had this coincidence happen. Jesus said, it's not just a coincidence. That was me. That was the God of the universe, the Creator working in His life. It wasn't just a coincidence. It says, He will make your path straight. Now, now think about that for a minute in Proverbs, that scripture I just read. If He will make your path straight, it indicates, it's a clear indication that your paths are not straight. Now, that doesn't mean evil. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean your paths are evil. It means life is like this. Things happen to you that don't seem to make sense. Your path is crooked. Your path is not straight. Everybody, we all want a straight path. And some of us, when we come to Jesus, we think we're getting a straight path. But we're not, but, but Jesus doesn't give you a straight path. It's like this. Things happen. You don't know why they happen. You were going to go here. Then you can't go. You were, you were working at this job and you thought it was going to work out. And you thought you were going to be there the rest of your life. And you're going to make tons of money and all this is going to happen. Then the company goes broke or they fire you or something happens or they replace you. Things don't, life is not straight. You know, I can't tell you how, much, how, how I wish I had really thought about this when I started as a young pastor all those years ago. I thought the path was straight. I thought the path to grow and build a church was just straight. Because I went, I went, I went and read John Maxwell's 12, Irrefutable, 12 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And the 12 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, let me tell you, they are irrefutable laws of leadership. And I had a, I had a funny experience with, with John Maxwell. I wrote him a letter one time. And uh, I, was teaching, I was teaching that class to some high school students, so I wrote him a letter and said, we're coming to this conference where you're speaking, and we want to have lunch with you. And remember Dave Letterman's top ten? Some of you are old, and you can remember that. Like me, you're old, you remember Dave Letterman. It was really funny, pe- young people. <laughs> You've lost your sense of humor in the 21st century. Things used to be funny. We used to laugh. I know you don't believe that. We used to laugh. And so, uh, the 12 year refutable laws of leadership. So, so I, I did the top 10. Top 10 reasons you should have lunch with me in my class. And so we had, I had like 10 students and we went out to Chicago to this conference. And you know, well the coolest thing happened is I get a phone call like a few days after I wrote the letter, I get a call from John's secretary. Now this guy's a big deal. I don't know if you know John Maxwell. He's a big deal. The big, all these best-selling books, all this stuff. And his secretary, and then I found out why he's so successful. He's so successful because he pays attention to details. And he cares about some dudes in Massachusetts that wrote him a letter. And his secretary said, you know, he does not have time to have lunch with you. In fact, he was speaking like three places that day. He was preaching in Chicago, Indianapolis, and some other city. And so uh, he doesn't have time to lunch, but he will, he will spend time with you on the break. And sure enough, I stood on the front row, like, just like you are, Chris, and he comes walking out, and he walks right to me, right to me, 
He didn't know who I was. I said, I said, I'm Phil. I'm the guy that wrote you a letter. And he starts laughing. He said, that letter, he said, I got that letter with me. That letter is so funny. <laughs> See, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty funny. John Maxwell thinks I'm funny. <laughs> but you can make God, you can make coincidences happen by paying attention to how God is showing up in your life. He will make your path straight. So anyway, I, I really got off track there a little bit. What I was trying to talk about was how I thought, even in those days, I thought building a church was a straight path. Man, was I wrong. It was not a straight path. You just think, I got it all together, we're about to go, we're about to become a church of a thousand, and then something happens. Just something. Something happens. Paths aren't straight. But if you'll start acknowledging God, He has a way of straightening your path out. He has a way of getting you to some place, and you, when you get there, you're like, I don't even know how I got here. <laughs> I don't even know how I have what I have. I don't even know why I'm so blessed. I'm not sure. I started out with a formula. I was going to do the 12 things or the 7 things or the 3 things. I, was, I had it all down. I, I, I blew it and didn't do any of them, and here I am, right where God wants me to be. Amen? Uh, Squire Rushnell. Anybody heard of Squire Rushnell? That's good. I'm glad, I'm glad to find something that nobody's heard about. Somebody. Uh, Squire Rushnell w- was the... Um, he was the producer of Good Morning America for many years. He produced... Uh, let's see. He did... Uh, I, I wrote the notes down. ABC Television Network executive led Good Morning America to the number one spot and oversaw the acclaimed Schoolhouse Rock series and the ABC after-school specials program under his direction. Uh, he his, has captured more than 75 Emmy Awards. Big deal. His, his, his wife was uh, Louise something or other. Used to, be on, uh, used to be on that show, Carol Burnett's show. She, she, uh, she is a funny person. She does impressions. They're, they're old people now. They're older than me. They live out on Martha's Vineyard. They live out on Martha's Vineyard. And uh, he started this organization called God Winks. And he collects stories about God. You know, when somebody winks at you, it's kind of letting you know, hey, hey, you're there. You know, they're kind of letting you know you're there. You're kind of acknowledging, you know, when someone winks at you. And uh, 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 he, he calls, he calls, he says to wink is to give a signal or express a message. He said a God wink is a personal signal or message directly from God, usually but not always in the form of a coincidence. So I, I'm going to let Squire Rushnell, Pat Robertson said he's the best storyteller since Mark Twain. So I'm going to let Squire Rushnell tell you a story of what he calls a God wink. Have you wondered, how do I get more God winks, those little coincidences that aren't? Well, after a decade and a half of studying God winks, I've noticed that certain principles always emerge. And one of them is that God winks happen more often when you step out in faith. What does that mean? Getting out of your comfort zone, speaking up when it's not your nature. This collection of amazing God wink stories is going to make that point. Tim Jones, a pastor, was having open house at his church. He set up the music and blared out his favorite song, So Mercy, by the Gaither Vocal Band. So 
mercy. Now what he didn't know was that out there among the crowd was a guy by the name of Don Herbert who also loved that song. He came up on the porch and they said hello and they talked about common interest in gospel music. They exchanged names and they went on their way. Two weeks later, Don Herbert got devastating news from the Duke University Hospital that if he didn't have a donor for a kidney transplant, he was gonna die. His wife, Belinda, went on Facebook. She poured her heart out. She said, oh, my dear husband is gonna die if we don't get a donor. And we've tested all the family and friends and they all failed to meet the rigorous tests. At that very moment, Tim Jones was on Facebook and somehow or other, Belinda's note popped up. He was drawn to her note. He felt her heart and something inside him suggested that he should try to reach out and help. Maybe he could be a match. The first God wink, the blood was a match. So that sent him into the arduous testing that took several days over several weeks. Here's what they found out. Tim Jones was a perfect match, a one in 20,000 match for Don Herbert's kidney. Weeks later, their dual surgeries were scheduled. Here's how it would work. Tim would go in first. It would take about two hours to have his kidney removed, and then Don would go in. Meanwhile, the wives were outside waiting for Tim and his surgery, and they were praying, and they were waiting, and waiting, and waiting. Two hours became four hours, five hours, and then seven hours. They started worrying, what's going on? What's happening? Eventually, the doctors came out and they whisked Don in for his surgery and they explained that when they took Tim's kidney out, they found hidden behind it an aneurysm, a deadly aneurysm, which is like a balloon expanding, which is more like a time bomb. It is, when it goes off, it is almost always fatal. But because he had performed this selfless act of kindness and had his kidney taken out for a friend, they discovered the aneurysm and they were able to get it in time. The doctor said, Tim, today you saved Don's life, but in the process, you saved your own. And then there was another Godwick. It was in the Soul Mercy lyric that they hadn't noticed before. Here's what it says. If you ever reached to help a friend. If you've ever reached to help a friend, the hand you help may lift you up again. Ha! How about that? So, Louise DeWart, that's her name. That's his wife's name. So, number one, look for God in your suffering and your stress. Of course, the sick man by the pool of Bethesda would have liked to have avoided that suffering. But it was through his suffering that he met God. It was through his suffering that he encountered the Creator. 
And, and of course, there's plenty of biblical precedents for avoiding suffering, and I talked about that a, mem- a few moments ago. There's a whole book in the Bible called the Book of Wisdom, the Book of Proverbs, and that whole book is really about a conversation between a man and his son about how to avoid unnecessary suffering through virtuous life, a premeditated life, a God-honoring life. But most God's stories, most God's stories start out with pain and suffering. The Bible says in Proverbs 34, 18, God is close to the brokenhearted. Now, that scripture tells us two things. It tells us the obvious, God is close to brokenhearted. But it tells us something else. What do you think that is? Think deeply. Think, think, get, a, get a thinking headache for a second. It tells you that sometimes in your life you're going to be brokenhearted. There's no fine print in the Bible. It's all there. As I told you, I've talked about this one of my God stories is that big, evolved into many God stories when I was diagnosed with prostate cancer and went to breakfast with the two pastor friends that I've been meeting with for years. And I told them for the first time, and I thought they would feel sorry for me. They, they didn't. <laughs> Dennis, who's staying out here in the motorhome, said, I can't wait. To see. He's got a big smile on his face. He said, I can't wait to see what God is going to do with this. That was the first thing he said. <laughs> well, that was what I needed, really. Because I met God, I had so many God moments through that process. It's like I always joke and say, and you've heard me say it already, I mean, if you've been around here, I, I always joke and say, I wouldn't take a million dollars for the experience, but I wouldn't give you 15 cents to do it again. <laughs> so, you've been sending me some God stories this week, and I really appreciate it. Please keep it up. Please send me some more God stories. On our website is a, is a link called God Stories. It's called story, Your Story Matters. And if you look on the right side, it's kind of hard to find. If you look on the right side, there's this three little lines. And if you put your cursor there, click it, it opens up a bunch of stuff. So go there this week and give me a story. I'm going to use as many as I can during this series the rest of summer. Amy Stevens writes, February of 2019, my dad called saying he was having some health issues and thought it might be a good idea to go to the hospital. I rushed over and picked him up. And it turned out he was in congestive heart failure due to, due to an arrhythmia. He was admitted to the cardiac unit, and I was scared to death. They drained 13 pounds, just pounds of fluid off of him that night. The best day, the, the, the best day they, they tried a, that, that day they tried a procedure called a cardioversion to try to get his heart into normal rhythm. It failed. Then they tried medication. It too failed. They scheduled him for a last-ditch effort of cardioversion. I reached out to a dear friend and fellow Christian who I knew had access to pray over my dad before this procedure, and she graciously did. They hooked him up, charged the paddles, and right there in front of everyone's eyes, my daddy's heart was touched by the hand of God, and he began to have a strong, normal heartbeat and rhythm. The doctor looked at him and said, Well, sir, enjoy the rest of your life. I'll be discharging you this afternoon. Thank you, Lord, for saving my dad. Vicki Vignoni wrote me and said, If I remember correctly, I was struggling with prayer. Whether I, really, whether I was really being heard, if they make a difference in wanting to know uh, 
how to hear from God. My husband suffered a horrible fall, paralyzing one arm and breaking the other along with several other injuries. This could have been career-ending and life-changing for our family. At one point, I hit my knees, and tears streamed, in, in a simple, and I prayed a simple prayer. Later that day, I was driving home exhausted and drained and heard a voice that said, Go to Big Lots and tell Sherry your story. Shopping was the last thing I wanted to do and would never have thought that on my own. I could not have been in there more than five minutes when Sherry got in line behind me, her second trip that day. I shared it with her. You prayed for us at service the next day. Our church family surrounded us with prayer meals and offers for rides. I prayed again. I did not want to waste our pain. I wanted to be sure we learned any lessons that God had for us. I went into prayer expecting that the lesson would be for my husband to slow down. I heard, this is for you. I don't understand. You prayed for your family. This is God talking. I had him when he fell. He did not hit the rock he fell near. He was not injured with the razor he had in his hand. He did not freeze, though he was alone and had no use of his arm. His phone did not break when he landed on it, and his phone worked when he called for help in an area with very little cell service. My prayers were answered in a huge way. We began good, getting good medical reports, and as you know, he was fully healed, able to return to his finish up his career as a firefighter. The experience has healed, sealed the deal for me. No more questions, no doubts, and now I have an unwavering faith. So, my question for you. Has disaster struck your life? If that's too dramatic a way to say that, do you simply feel stuck in a negative situation? Or perhaps you just feel like that man with the pool of Bethsaida. You just feel you've been knocked down and everybody else gets help, but you don't. Maybe you feel that way today. Everybody else is jumping in front of you. Are you able to see that God might be coming to you as he mostly does in and through a person that you might not expect him to use even? Remember when Jesus was walking around Jerusalem, he was seen as just another man. People didn't go, oh, there goes God. Oh, there goes the Son of God. He was just a dude. There were, he was one of many, dozens, of itinerant rabbis who had little bands of people that followed them and he taught them the ways of God. He was just another dude. He was just another guy, or so it would appear. However, however, we know he was more. But so are the people that you're setting around. So are the people that are in your life. So are the people that you know, and so are the people that you don't even know yet. Scriptures say, listen this, show hospitality, for some have entertained angels unaware. I got a great angel story that I got that I'll tell you next week. So if you're feeling hurt or lost in some way, here's my advice. Look for Jesus today in every encounter that you have may just experience a God story.
I remember that day that Vicki was talking about because I really hate shopping. And that day I had gone to Big Lots to pick up something that I thought was simple. We went there, picked it up, got back to where I was going, and it was the wrong thing. And I was so annoyed. But I had to have it, so I got back in my car and went back over, and it was amazing. I got behind Vicki, and she turned to me, and she said, God told me you were going to be here. And I was like, wow, she always seemed sane. <laughs> she never seemed like one of those crazy God-told-me people. But God really told her, listen, you are part of people's God stories. How many opportunities do you miss by not just doing that normal, simple thing, being available to be a part of the stories that God wants your name to be included in? Every story that has God's name in it We'll also have a Sherry, a Vicki, Phil, a Colleen, Steve. He knows your name. Now today, we want to know your name. And so everybody's wearing these very brightly colored name tags. And one of the things that we're trying to make sure we make room for is a chance for you to know one another's names. We've asked you to do just two simple things today. Tell us your name, put it on your little name tag, and tell us something you enjoy doing. The purpose of today's time together is simply to make room for you to connect and celebrate others. You want to connect with and celebrate others. And also an opportunity for you to find out who you are going to do life with and how God has uniquely created connection-purposed plans. My dad um, was in the Navy, and when he, when he was in the Navy, he did what a lot of people do that are kind of disconnected. He went to church because he was looking to find his people and when he got there, he met someone who had come to know the Lord when she was 17 years old. And I don't know how old she was then. She must have been like 20. Mom, how old were you when Dad met you? 20? And, you know, they, they, had, a, they had an opportunity to connect. Dad was from Minnesota. Mom was from Tennessee, and their lives would never have cross-sected, except they went to a building, and in that building, they had an opportunity to take their shared heart, turn it into something which became the place where I was raised, seven kids, a million foster kids. a place where 
a connection birthed many of your stories. <laughs> How many of you have a Quentin Helen Matson story that's been a part of your God story? You can raise your hand in this place. You've had some lunch at their house. You've had some something that has impacted your life because they've just been present and cared about what your name was. So today, I'm going to challenge you with this. Care about someone's name and what they love. It will revolutionize this place. When you leave today, you're going to go straight through those doors into the gym. If you don't have your name tag and it doesn't say your name and something you enjoy doing or you love, grab one. Otherwise, there's, there's water, there's uh, just some pastries, there's some coffee available. And you're not going to go grab your kids for 18 minutes. So here's the, the, the process. We have 18 minutes that we're going to meet six people, chat with them about the things that they enjoy. You can talk to two people you already know if you want. At the end of it, you're going to go grab your kids because we're not going to have our, have our children's church workers um, that... You know, they have a, a particular time that they've done their program. If you have a happy place student and you want to uh, grab them, and there is a space in the back um, in the uh, welcome lounge that you, that Megan has set up to make it a little bit easier for you to still fellowship and somewhere to park your kid. We love you guys, and we are so excited that we get to know your names and find out what you love. So let's stand together. I pray for every single person in this room that is going to be a part of someone's God story even today. I pray that you would fill this place with God stories, that we will tell one another the things that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>